And welcome to yet another episode of the Dicer Screaming Podcast. Oh, oh that was very hearty. I like that. I'm Randy. I'm Mike. And together we form the Dicemen of the Dicer Screaming Podcast. Recorded live in a place. <laughs> you may not have asked for it, but we're here anyway. <laughs> this is totally happening. That's right. <laughs> it cannot be helped. It's Believe me, we tried. Yeah, it's Topic Tuesday, so we got a good topic for you today. I think yes. you'll like it. Yes, a, a weighty and appropriate topic. We're, we're not, you know, the Komodo is fluttering, but it is not actually open. So, you know, I mean, mm-hmm. be still your hearts. Keep that, uh, uh, keep that uh, under control not, there. Not giving it away just yet. Uh, you know, just just wiggle it a little bit. And, oh. You know, show some ankle. Mm-hmm. Just, little ankle, just to, to tease. Oh, boy. But, but yeah, it, it's, it's genre appropriate. It's Topic Tuesday. So we're, we're going to hit the weighty traditional gamer material topic. Yep, so we're going to get right in some call-ins. Boy, we had a lot from our last podcast about yeah. the gaming consent form. <clears throat> Uh, so it was a really good uh, outing for us, and we're glad that uh, a lot of people liked our measured response. So, yeah, uh, thank gonna... you all so very much. Uh, you know that that was very kind uh, to have so many people check in. I mean, we'll get to them one by one, but right. Um, so we're going to get to the first one here, which is from Lyrian, um, from Tales from Nowhere. Tales from Nowhere. So take it away, Lyrian. Hey guys, it's Lyrian from Updates from the Middle of Nowhere. I just want to say I really appreciate your thoughtful and measured uh, comments about the consent checklist and document. I thought that was really great. And, I mean, you worked in the word prurient. So, I mean, what girl does not love that? Anyway, (laughs) thank you, guys. You know, there's a lot of wisdom there. I really appreciate you sharing it. Have a good one. Okay, thank you, Larian. And yeah, uh, wisdom from us. Wow, that's high praise indeed. Uh, it, some occasionally slips out. You oh. know, I, I'm, I'm, I'm sure it, it's one of those, you know, stopped clock moments where at least twice a day we're right. Yeah, true. <laughs> right, yeah. but uh, uh, glad you like the big words. We'll uh, we'll try to put them in there as best we can. Ah, yes, yes. Uh, the occasional prurient uh, type quality word yeah we we broke out the nickel words for that session oh yeah uh, these are but, good scrabble words ah <laughs> uh, syzygy oh. game over oh yeah <laughs> yeah no it, it was it was nice to hear from you and uh i'm very glad you liked uh, yeah we had uh a little bit of reservation about putting it in there and i did kind of take off the uh muzzle and kind of go at a few people but yeah, we'll get more on that later from Joe, but um, we also had a new uh, listener come in, uh, Jason, and so uh, he had some thoughts to share with us, so uh, we're going to turn it over to Jason, and uh, then we're going to get into Joe Richter, so take Hello, it away, Jason. Jason, take it away. Hey, Jason here. I just want to call say I'm enjoying your podcast. I actually just found you guys through a couple different anchor casts, primarily Dave over Deep Percentile. But I listened to this last podcast about the consent form, and I agree with you. Take what's useful for your group, leave the rest, easy peasy. No big controversy. Um, going to slowly work my way through your back catalog, but I like what I've heard so far, and I look forward to hearing more. Take it easy. Bye. All right. Howdy, Jason, and nice meeting you. Uh, hey, glad you found our podcast. 
Yeah. Hey, kudos to Jason over at Nerds RPG Variety Cast. Yep. Uh, it was a pleasure to hear from you. Yeah, we need to check that out, and uh, we definitely will be looking through your backlog as well. So hope uh, you don't mind us poking around in your backlog there. But uh, hey, no, don't, not to make it too weird. But yeah, no, thanks, no. <laughs> thanks a lot for the words. Yeah, um, it, you summed it up right there. Is um, Take what you uh, like out of the RPG consent form and the rest ditch. I mean, if it starts a conversation, great. And if you already know what the boundaries are, hey, good for you. You don't need it. But, you know, uh, it's a tool. And as uh, Mike summarized pretty well throughout that it it's a tool that if you need it, it's there. Yeah, I mean, it, it's like a socket wrench set. You know, you don't need every single millimeter socket. You know, uh, nobody's ever going to use them all unless, like, you're a pro mechanic or something. Yeah. But, uh, uh, you know, you wind up having the option available to you, and I approve of that. I like the idea of having a wide variety of things available to people that can then exercise their own discretion. Uh, and I think that's the, the most ideal of all scenarios, that there's a lot of creativity on, on how to, you know, work with it a wide variety of new people. Mm-hmm. Uh, and getting out of your comfort zone is a great thing. Uh, I'm a big fan of that myself. In fact, a big part of how I wound up uh, doing open table gaming at comic book shops was because I really wanted to get out of my comfort zone to you know, force myself into new scenarios, make myself think on my feet, uh, and get back to that early style of gaming where you didn't really know. It was not going to be predictable. It was not going to be as uh, formulaic and formulaic as it might once have been. Yeah. So, yeah, I got a lot out of it, and I, I still approve of that core concept. Uh, but, no, thank you so much for the call-in. Right, and uh, we look forward to hearing more from you. So, hopefully we hear you. So, all right, we're going to turn it over to Joe Rigger. He also has uh, Joe a piece of his mind to give to us oh boy all right so turn, take well, it good, away because we don't have any mind of our own I oh mean, we you don't. know our minds are in pieces so a spare piece of mind could be put to work here all <laughs> right take it away joe hey what up boys it's joe um yeah man i don't see why people are getting so fired up about this consent list thing man well i mean i do see because the people that are fired up about it like to get fired up about stuff. They just like to get pissed off about stuff. Uh, I mean, that's really the only reason. It doesn't affect anyone else's game unless you want it to affect your game. So, yeah, I, I, man, I'm right there with you. It's not, shouldn't be controversial in the slightest bit. Anyway, fellas, hope you're having a good one. Peace out. All right, and again, thanks, Joe. Thanks so much. Um, yeah, controversy kind of breathes its own. Kind of, uh, it breeds its own current, man. It pulls you in, and uh, people get swept away with it. If they want to be upset about something, there's a couple other things I think you can be upset about. Yeah, I, I was going to say that, uh, you know, their their bar for upsetness is is alarmingly low. Um, <laughs> if this gets their their goat, <laughs> I, I will say this though. I'm I'm going to, I, I am going to spell out something that I didn't quite spell out in the previous episode, and I'll, I'll keep it as brief as possible. In principle, if the scenario were very different, if we were looking at something like uh, uh, no game will ever be played without this in the future, 
and uh, where we have passed a uh, law that indicates that every single person must use this before they play any game under all circumstances with no discretion involved whatsoever. This is now the uniform mark of approval. Uh, no game can go on without this, and inspectors will be present at every game to determine whether you have stayed in compliance with these codes. I would be the first contrarian to join the other side in a heartbeat and just go, absolutely not, under no circumstances should, you know, somebody else's table be dictating how mine is uh, to be enjoyed, you know. Uh, I would happily change camps if there was something like that, an intrusion into the way I play a game. The thing is, there's just not. There's, there's no there there. There's, there's nothing. Uh, and it's very disingenuous to treat this as though this is some massive intrusion into other people's ability to play a game. Uh, because it simply is not. It is in no respect a forcible uh, inclusion thing. It is, there's no penalty for not using it. There's nothing. There's None of the things that I would use as a benchmark to determine whether I should uh, be opposed to it are present. There's nothing. So, I, yeah, the, the disingenuousness of the complaints is what really kind of ground my gears. Yeah, and it's a tempest in the teacup. There's nothing really there to get upset about. And secondly, of all the things that, uh, you know, are problem problematic in role-playing games this is trying to solve or at least address them in some way it's all voluntary so anybody upset about that can just go jump in a lake but <laughs> that's being nice so well we got a lot of lakes here so. yes we do i mean you know occasionally a nice cool dip does you some good that's right all right so uh thank you all for the call-ins and the wonderful input just keep it coming folks uh we're gonna also be uh visiting your places you've been warned and, uh, and uh, you know those horror listening. movies, you know, where you, you thought it was just the wind? Uh, no, it's no, us. No, it's us. We're going we're gonna to pop up with you know, uh, hockey masks. <laughs> shadowy men from a shadowy planet. That's us. Oh, great mm. reference. Right. Look it up, folks. All right. Great we're going to take a quick break here, uh, pay the bills, and be right back with you. So stick around. All right. And welcome back. And, uh, yeah, we're here with some topics. So what is that topic? Well, no teasing. Tonight we're going to talk about Warhammer 40,000. Now, Warhammer 40,000 um, is a very convoluted and very wide scope game. Yeah, um, we're, we're going to kind of broad strokes part of this because uh, this is, it, wow, it's literally almost, you know, too big for even, yep. a, even a back-to-back two-parter would be insufficient for... For this so uh probably better to leave off you know and, and we're, we're gonna focus on one particular aspect but we will certainly reference many parts of this yeah uh we're gonna cover pretty much uh just the Warhammer warhammer 40k universe and then get into some of its uh more direct influences in role-playing games and uh, tabletop miniatures but uh which they have quite an array of releases i mean and I, I don't know how it fares at other folks' tables, but it's been kind of a staple uh, with the clique of people that we hung around with uh, for, gosh, the, you know, like the last 35 years. or Well, uh, like 30 of those 35 years. It, 
it came a little later for us than it did for some. But well, we were right you know, there. I mean, it 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 hit when it hit in '87, and it came out in a lavishly illustrated, uh, almost a garishly illustrated rule book called Warhammer 40k or Warhammer 40,000 Rogue Trader, and it opened up the gates to the Warhammer 40k universe. Now, this is before a lot of the other supplements. The very first one, wow. Uh, looking at the 40k rulebook, I like it a lot, and uh, I actually ended up making my own role-playing rules for it, um, but it promised a lot, and it seemed like it wanted to be a lot of different things at the same time, but it was primarily a miniatures rule set, but it provided different equipment lists and charts uh, indicating various uh, species and races that you would uh, encounter but which would be expected in a science fiction game but it had been long promised and uh, finally it had come out and it came out with a diverse miniatures line to start it off with and that as over time has evolved and grew to monumental proportions yeah some of the finest models available but right now we're going to talk about those early heady days in 87 when You've seen all these really weird elements, and it's almost like a heavy metal or black metal soundtrack is playing in the background. You know, it's a grim, dark universe, and there is only war. Uh, The emperor, the singular most powerful being in all of human history, is entombed inside a golden throne, unable to lift a finger to give one command. But his presence alone allows interstellar travel by the navigators. And yeah, if you start to hear uh, Dune in the background, well, there's a big reason for that. Yeah, uh, you know, despite some protestations that Dune is but a minor influence, uh, no, no. Uh, look, uh, there are a host of influences for this game. The the creatives that were at the beginning of Warhammer 40k and the entire Warhammer verse, uh, that that same collection of early thoughtful persons at Games Workshop, they all uh, were highly literate. So uh, there is a vast array of influences, but Frank Herbert's Dune, uh, with its far-flung interstellar empire uh, and its tenuous grasp on the ability to uh, project power across great expanses uh, and the, the terrifying risk it's really only one calamity away. You know, one, uh, it, be it the absence of spice or the absence of the god emperor in uh, mm-hmm. um, Warhammer, you know, that there is a slender thread holding together the interstellar network uh, that could all come crashing down. And, yeah, pretty legitimate fear if, you know, <laughs> uh, all of a sudden... You know, the, the one guiding light in all of creation. Just boom! It's total anarchy. Everybody's out on their own. <laughs> right, and, you know, there's warp storms and all this wild stuff that keeps uh, certain systems isolated. And, you know, it's 40,000 years in the future. There was a lot of things going on uh, that, you know, precipitated the rise of the Imperium, as it's called. And also, it has its various facets. The L- Lords of Terra... The Adeptus Astartes are space marines. The Imperial Guard or the basic militia of planets, as well as the Imperial Navy and the Adeptus Mechanicus, and also the inclusion of Crazy Foe Latin, where 
You yeah. have to give everything <laughs> a Latin name instead of calling a um, toilet or head a. It's not the laboratory. Loo. Yeah, it's not the loo. It's it's the the uh, purgatorium, especially after the Amble Surprise Chili <laughs> night that the Marines hosted on the ship. Yeah, yeah, uh, the. Uh... <laughs> Uh, everything has a tongue-in-cheek sense of humor in Warhammer 40K. Now, it's subtle. It, it's a subtle sense of humor. It is not incredibly direct most of the time. Uh, but the tale of the God Emperor is filled with a magnificent irony of a really enlightened person very much trying to deliver mankind into a better age. Uh, you know, to lay aside the things that have torn mankind asunder for generations and caused death and chaos and war. Uh, very much wanting to, you know, bring all of humanity together into a brilliant golden age. Uh, and in the Emperor's infirmity, and with the great passage of time, uh, <laughs> the the legions and various personages that once, you know, uh, believed in his precise message, uh, have since slowly deviated. Uh, and lacking the ability to sit there and talk word for word with the emperor himself, uh, instead they have kind of done everything by rote the yeah, best they've... they can. They've held on to information, passed it down generation by generation, and they've treated it with like a kind of literal veneration where... They, they lost the meaning, but they remember the words. If you remember the classic Star Trek episode in which the Yangs and the Combs were fighting, yep. and they, they have these sacred words that are to be read, uh, and of course it sounds like gibberish to most of us, but it's Kirk who recognizes it and reads it, and it's the you know preamble of the Constitution. Uh, <laughs> and uh, <laughs> the Declaration of Independence... Um, that moment is very present in Warhammer 40K, a well, yeah, world that is that is a universe that has spun off its axis. Yeah, and the Adeptus Mechanicus, you know, the guardians and caretakers of technology have regressed to now chanting and obsequiating themselves before the mighty machine spirit, anointing it with sacred oils and unguents. And then striking it twice with a hammer. And then hitting the on button to activate great machinery that they do not understand how to build and barely understand how to maintain. Yeah, they... The slow slide of regression from these heights of great so if you magnificence can imagine of science. Ships built by incredible super science during a gilded age of you know expansion into the cosmos. Uh, now, basically, barely held together... Uh, because the semi-sentient machines respond to the caretaking by people who don't understand how any of it works, but they know what the ritual appropriate thing to do. In this instance, we must go to this room and we must encant this prayer and then strike this thing. <laughs> Turn the sacred lever twice. Is your computer on or off? Is it all? Have we done the rites of perfection? Have we checked all the cables are connected properly? <laughs> yeah, so this, the tongue-in-cheek humor at the slow loss of knowledge uh, and the reliance upon ritual 
is a huge hidden facet. The thing I loved most, really, about it. Uh, yeah, and they had reflections of Judge Dredd, uh, oh, the sure. Adeptus Arbides, the judges who are the arbiters that uh, maintained a tenuous hold on law and order and interpreted the imperial law and creed uh, across the various realms. Um, and planetary governors all scheming and plotting against the Lords of Terra, who are the absolute bureaucratic rulers at the top of the heap. Oh, and of course, a nod to Alien, uh, the movie with uh, the Tyranids well, yeah. present yeah, in Yeah, we'll, we'll get into that. But, you know, you see style xenomorphic entities. Yep, that, pressed uh, on all sides. The <clears throat> humanity is beset by foes from every quarter. Low on allies and heavy on ammo. Yep, and the navigators are the only ones that allow space travel by virtually traveling through an intensely hostile parallel universe that only they can see with their hidden third eye. Uh, uh, triangulating essentially with like a perfect knowledge of the Emperor's presence at all times. That yeah, they he, can define and see it. A, with a single definitively fixed point in space in their minds at all times, they, they can then you know, like go from point A to point B. Uh, and, and yet, humanity holds out against the throw of the perfidious Eldar, the Orc, and, as you just mentioned, the uh, Tyranids and Xenomorphs of the uh, Gene Stealer ilk, very heavily reflected of a lot of the influences of the time, alien, aliens. And then you have these hard cases of the Imperial Space Marines, or Adeptus Astartes, who are these genetically engineered incel warriors who just pound the living snail snot out of anything they come across with impunity. Yeah, they, they have no other purpose. Their their purpose is, uh, they're basically a loaded gun that is then pointed at whatever is in humanity's way, and they just pull the trigger. Yep. Complete. Send the space marines. The Sadar legions. They'll blow it up. Yep, they'll take care of it. And then the imperial, inexhaustible armies. Nuke it from orbit. It's the only way to be sure. They touched on the Eldar space elves. In the, in the early incarnations, they had some comic relief in... The dwarves, instead of calling them space dwarves, they decided to call them stunties. And this comes out of wild times. Squats. Squats. Squats and stunties, yep. And they rode bikes and uh, did stuff. And If you can imagine biker dwarves with bolter pistols. Yep, they were (laughs) far off. And then they kind of decided that the Tyranids ate them. And then they were gone. Yeah, uh, in a later incarnation, they did away with those. Uh, possibly to thin the field of opponents and help people focus on the primary miniatures lines. Yep, you had ogrins who were these hugely uh, biogenetic diversity of abhumans, and ratlings, which were halflings, who were uh, the ogrins, which were very childlike in their devotion to the emperor, but were yet... Um, Completely fearless and dumb. <laughs> if you could count to three, or higher than three in some cases, you were a sergeant. <laughs> oh. Oh. <laughs> um. And the Rattlings, who were completely cowardly in melee combat, but were great snipers. Yes, you could count on them to shoot people from a nice, safe distance. With a long rifle. Now, uh, in fairness... You know, these were familiar elements from fantasy fiction uh, that had just been translated into the distant future template of Warhammer 40,000. 
<laughs> and many of those things were done away with in due time. Uh, occasionally having little reappearances depending on the edition, but uh, largely gone now. Yeah, there was a role-playing element to that very first set. They also had a nice little world called Critchlow's World, which was a nod to Carl Critchlow, who designed a whole world to be played in. But again, so many things were proposed on it, but very few things came out of it. Yeah, they... All right, to, to be fair, uh, in our criticism... Rogue Trader was exciting because there was so much amazing material tucked within uh, in that initial release. Uh, a person who was ready to extrapolate from that data and build on it themselves had just picked up a treasure trove. Mm -hmm. uh, but some people fell prey to the expectation that all of that would be followed up in later publications... And there was some a little bitterness there, like, you know, how come they never followed up on that? Well, I mean, they followed up on a lot, but it promised so much. There was so much hinted at. Hey, well, they tried another. to fill it out in White Dwarf, yes. but to be honest, it and, kind of, it grew way out of control. And it was the last great effort out of all the Games Workshop design studio. You see that last page in there where they have all the contributors illustrated. And... That was kind of the end of an era for him. And also, um, Games Workshop changed hands. Um, they then started to focus more on the miniatures. And then they took the familiar types of the Marines and the Imperial Guard and other races and began to package them into a easy-to-get-into entry level of the game. And it went through several <clears throat> large editions of... Uh, some of them lasting longer than others. I think the second and third edition were pretty long-lasting with the fourth and fifth kind of... Yeah, I mean, it, it's a painful reminder. It has been like 30-plus years. So. Yeah, you know, you have what... <laughs> they had the sixth edition, which was the best edition ever, and then one year later, the seventh edition, which was, you should be playing this edition. In it, and Games Workshop also started raising their prices. Now, I'm not going to get too much into this. I mean, how you feel about it as a... I I, I am going to say that like there was a small amount of that that was justified in a rapidly evolving market. Sure. Uh, there was an era in which the move away from metallic miniatures was fully underway. Uh, it was comparatively expensive to change providers, uh, change designs, and all of mm -hmm. that. There was a lot of forward planning that had to go on just to accomplish that. So, uh, to some degree, that was justified. However, in a more corporate sense... Uh, it would be ludicrous to deny that they have been mindful of how much money can be made when you plan the game around encouraging the sales. Uh, and the prices uh, have, you know, frankly, given that the transition over to high-quality plastics has all, already long since occurred, it is a little questionable, uh, to put that high a price on. Yeah, when I'm, one single I'm miniature costs $35 and, you know, a box of five costs 65 I'm just kind of... Yeah, it, that, it does kind of wrinkle my nose a little bit. I still collect and play, um, but the various editions have had um, their own kind of inertia of success and failure and determined for a lot of people how they felt about the game. Some people were very upset 
about uh, different changes in the rules and all oh, this totally delegitimizes my army. And they introduced over the time <laughs> new races such as the Necrons and the Tau. Yes, there have been some moments of oversight where a rules exploit or uh, a a slight error in calculation, maybe they, they didn't <clears throat> quite plan out, oh, that is an incredible advantage. Well, that usually leads to a giant surge where a large number of people immediately go for the loophole, the, the thing that looks like they're most likely to win. Uh, and, you know, it, it's like football fans, you know, they're, they're, that are not believers in their home team no matter what, but instead opportunists who immediately flee to the first ship that looks like it's winning. You know, the, the insincere fans... Uh, flock to whatever looks like it has an advantage at that moment and then are just traumatized when it turns out that like ah we may have to nerf that because nobody wants to play like a game where like all 200 players in this entire region are only playing one type of army because that's the only one that they can believe that they can win with uh or no one else can ever win against an army including this this rule and these minis uh, yeah, that that's a bit of a problem. So, yeah, they've nerfed things, and it has ruffled feathers, but I understand nerfing. Well, anyway. and Look at what happens in World of Warcraft all the time. I mean, well, it's a typical thing. You, okay, we overdid it. We're going we're gonna to walk this one back a little. Yeah, Just, wait till the next patch. But yeah. in any case, um, yeah, all I, that aside... I'm not going to be harsh to them about that. Okay. Fair enough. Um, I am, so... No, yeah. no, it, it, it's all um, right, though. Yeah, I'm going to be a little harsh on them. For a couple reasons, but that's not my focus here. I mean, I have my personal feelings, and that's okay. Um, I'm not necessarily going to uh, share them because, for my part, they—it's a participatory. Uh, it's a voluntary participation. It's not uh, anything required. I I do invest in the game, but you know, it is what it is. And uh, when things don't go how I like, I usually just either quit playing for a while or wait. And it'll change again. And that's usually how it ends up. But nonetheless, this the universe began to grow over the years. Oh, boy. They okay. began to incorporate more ideas and expand it. And it got darker and more serious. And its tone, it lost some of the tongue-in-cheek. And yet, still, looking back at that original Rogue Trader, there was always the promise of a role-playing game soon to be released. And so you would wonder what it would be like to play a Rogue Trader, which was the... Uh, named of the game where a person of some ability or nefarious deeds too dangerous to get rid of was given a charter to go where they will with a fleet and a detachment of soldiers and marines and go conquer new systems in the name of the emperor yeah you're and you were given no reign or let upon you from the normal imperial bureaucracy oh, which now mind you this is not open license for heresy but it does mean that a lot of things are not obstacles to... Because no one expects the Imperial Inquisition. <laughs> yeah. Fear and terror. And they did not... And surprise. That's three. Okay. <laughs> uh, they, uh, and they are not bringing the comfy chair. Okay, just one warning. Ruthless efficiency. The Porterac. Yeah, there's a joke about the Porterac if you look in there, that the Porterac's this little compact torture device that you carry with you. And, uh, <laughs> you know, the Porterac. Bring forth the rack. And it's a dish rack. Okay, yeah, that's the Monty Python thing. And again, that's the tongue-in-cheek, but it's kind of still around. You have a Porterac. But 
Yeah. The, turn uh, the rack. <laughs> <laughs> Give it another turn. It's not doing anything. Shh. <laughs> don't break the don't break the moment. And yeah. so you yeah. would do all these things, but you know, no vehicle had come forth to that. They had kind of a couple army lists early on from the uh, first supplement chapter approved, but after that, it kind of meandered off. And there were other splits. There and was then our wishes came true. The thing we'd been asking for, the thing we'd been expecting for a very long time, they opened the floodgates, and you know what? They delivered. Yeah, and Warhammer forty thousand. For a lot of people, had been looked at as kind of like the holy grail of role-playing games. Here you had a built-in fan base who read the novels and were seeped in the lore and had miniatures and played armies with painted, fantastically painted, uh, beautiful models. And now, you know, you could bring them into the role-playing experience of a tabletop game. And their first offering was Dark Heresy, which allowed you to play Agents of the Inquisition. And um, there were a couple... Uh, a little flip-flops with that, but it finally settled into the lap of Fantasy Flight Games, and they published a wonderful selection of material, which I think is the best that they did. Oh, yeah. Uh, the Calixis Sector, where there's a con that's so much heresy and villainy <laughs> and corruption and chaos You can about. stay busy quite a while. There's a whole conclave of Inquisitors. Usually one Inquisitor, one system. Yeah. That's how it's handled. But this, an inquisitor. Is a, this is a system on the brink of collapse. Like, if things tip past a certain point, it's going to be all nukes all the time to purge this. Yeah, and they can't afford this, so they have a conclave of inquisitors. And you work for one of the mini inquisitors, or can develop your own. And you go through and you know, kind of call it Cthulhu-esque, uh, discover cults and nefarious deeds, and uncover corruption and treachery. And it's very fun, but... I know I had a good time. Yeah, I have. A, I had a lot of fun running uh, Dark Heresy. Um, and then they came out with Rogue Trader, which was allowing you to play the top, the creme de la creme of what humanity had to offer. Yeah, the real game, the the final emergence of a game titled Rogue Trader, where you actually got to be a rogue trader with a ship that you could customize and build and. Crew and the people. But you're not the only rogue trader out there. So lest you think that you're nigh invulnerable and that you answer to no one, no, skullduggery and treachery can be the end of you just as easily as it can be the end of someone else. Yeah, the ship's seneschal or spy master has to constantly be uh, keeping his contacts with informants in various ports and planets of call. And they developed a new sector to open up, and this one was a wild and woolly place that had just newly been unveiled by a warp storm. So, you know, all the rogue traders are heading there to stake their claim and exploit the riches. Much like the British East uh, Indies Trading Company. Yeah, it is uh, an unflinching view. I mean, for those who, who think that it encourages or applauds that, uh, it does not shrink away from depicting this as principally, uh, you know, the motivation, the big motivating factor in these small private groups is greed. Mm -hmm. uh, and, you know, ruthlessness. Uh, and the best among them are still not even that nice because they can't afford to be or they will be ground underfoot. Uh, but then, you, of course, you throw in the powers of chaos. Uh, yep. Always lurking around the corner with the four classic Warhammer entities. Corrin. Uh, uh, Zinch. Zinch. Uh, Slanesh. And Nurgle. Uh, and the four of them are, you know, just, it, it's their version of the four horsemen of the apocalypse. You got your, your 
war and bloodshed, uh, your disease, uh, your vice, and your scheming corruption, you know. Uh, between the four of them, constantly poking at the edges of humanity, trying to draw in worshippers and open gates to, to creep in and get a foothold in the mortal world. Uh, there's a lot going on that rogue traders have to deal with beyond just trying to forge an open trading route. Yeah, where more Dark Heresy was focused on chaos, supplanting it in the uh, form of the Ordo Hereticus, one of the three branches of the Inquisition. Um, Rogue Trader was kind of like freewheeling. You could do various things. You could even, you know, trade with the orcs if you wanted to. Not that orcs really trade, but hey, you know, it's a Rogue (laughs) Trader. They can figure a way. (laughs) They exchange fire. (laughs) You know, orcs, their currency is chief. More Daka Daka. Yep. (laughs) <laughs> and, uh, you know, you could even have the Eldar. You could play an Eldar in there. So it was the first kind of where you got the full taste, the melange of the Warhammer 40,000 universe. Then they came out with Death Watch, which was all about playing marine hard asses, who were all from the Debris chapters, and, drawn and- together to combat specific alien menaces in the elite special forces yeah, unit. A, a small tactics group uh, where normally in Warhammer, the miniatures game you would all play yeah i mean if you have uh, 40 miniatures on the board they would all be from the same chapter of space marines not and know, each chapter has its own not, unique advantages yeah. and quirks so it, they would not be intermingled but with death watch you role played uh, just a very small handful of the very best of the space marines and all the scenarios are end of the world scenarios like yep. if you guys can't fix this there is nothing else that can, and we're just going to burn this entire place to a cinder. Uh, so you basically have to play the best of the best, or you wouldn't be even the least bit effective. Yeah, and you have to come together and uh, come across your individual weaknesses and quirks from your chapter and upbringing and uh, use your strengths together to work as a team. Which... Yeah, worth mentioning that you know every Space Marine chapter does have something similar to a weakness. You know, there's an area that is not their strong suit. Uh, But the fact that they're each in possession of unique gifts uh, makes them a pretty formidable team when you actually see them working together instead of apart. Yep, and that was a fairly successful one, and it was much anticipated. And then uh, they went on to uh, do a Black Crusade, where you play the bad guys, or the Chaos dudes. And, boy, that's a lot of fun. <laughs> There's nothing like playing a World Eater uh, Blood Berserker of Koron <laughs> with two chain axes wielding in the combat. But, of course, you know, it, those that was a good one as well. But not as well received, because, well, you know, it is a little bit hard to deal with things like Ultimate Corruption... And deceit and treachery. Well, and if you win, you destroy the universe. Yeah, or (laughs) you get a goal and you destroy something. Or you take it for your own and corrupt it. Until it's gone. And then the last one that they uh, come out with was Only War, which covered the Imperial Guard, which were the huge, inexhaustible masses of just conscripts, rogues, and uh, draftees, as well as volunteers. And some of them could be very... uh, well, some of the units in the Imperial Guard are very hard, like the Cadians and the Maccabee Janissaries are very uh, disciplined. 
and uh, almost on par with the Marines. It's a mixed bag, though. You know. Yeah, the, but then you have the Mordian Guard, which are all dress uniforms who just parade all the time around their planet. Yeah, uh, yeah. You get something of a stormtrooper effect, where you know, in sufficient numbers, they they can be considered dangerous, just like a swarm. Uh, but they're they're just not as effective a crack hardcore team as, say, for instance, a band of space marines. Uh, yeah. Um, and yeah, space marines are just space know, marines are what you call in when the legions are just not getting it done. Right. And each one of the games opened a new sector, and but unfortunately, it was too big of a project to keep their arms around, and eventually, it did kind of spiral out of control and. Games Workshop pulled the license after a while, and it looked in doubt that we would not have another Warhammer 40k role-playing game. But uh, At least rest- they got a lot of material out beforehand during that little gilded era. Oh yeah, there's a lot of the material still out there, and of course you can still get it pretty much for a song. You can find it in cheap bins here and there, but on, also on Fleabay and Noble Knight Games and other places where used games are found. Because no game really dies. No. But at the end of it all... Uh, they also uh, released now Wrath and Glory. <clears throat> Excuse me. Soda. Um, Wrath and Glory, which I can't remember the game company. Uh, it's brand new. Hmm. They just hit a second edition with it. And this but, is where I admit an absence of knowledge. This yeah, is, I, I this is so new that I have only the most... Cur- like I know the name. <laughs> right. And this incorporates a lot of the elements from... Uh, the tabletop uh, miniatures game where, you know, you have objectives, you roll uh, for various uh, actions on die six. And from what I've heard and all the reviews I've read and watched, it's very good. And it plays much more like the uh, miniatures game, which I think is the big point. And also, oh, rather than focusing on playing like uh, the the adepts of the Order Hereticus in Dark Heresy or... Um, you know, one guy gets to be the rogue trader and the rest of the crew gets to play, you know, the Seneschal and the bosun and the armsman. Now you play these, the main characters, like an inquisitor or a rogue trader or, and create your characters off of that or a missionary from the ecclesiarchy. And so they, you have they, your own support. Blended all the templates into a single game. Uh, and then you right, and they set it in one big sector where everything's happening. Orcs are invading, chaos is coming. You know, oh, look out! Here's some Tyranids too, and you know, <laughs> you know, so it's all there. And you know, instead of trying to uh, put all the chapters together in the melange of the Death Watch, now there's just one chapter you play there. <laughs> My life as an Inquisitor, or ninety nine problems, but a witch ain't one. That's right. So. You have this, uh, they have a new beginning, and I think it'll be interesting to see what they do with this. But, you know, through the years, we've seen Warhammer, and we've watched it grow, as well as we've taken a lot of good chuckles from the inferences of <laughs> Monty Python, because, you know, the Inquisition. I mean, there's no point at any time when you're playing the Inquisition, you do not say in Dark Heresy, no one expects the Imperial Inquisition yeah, to do I, the La Monologue, you know, fear... <laughs> And brutality. No, I mean, uh, fear, brutality, and surprise. No, fear, brutality, surprise, and ruthless efficiency are... That's poor. Okay, we just have to go back out and try this again. Yeah. All right. Fresh start. (laughs) You just... Yeah, Yeah, so... Try to look surprised. (laughs) That's right. It can't look like we expected... We were expected at all. So, 
do please look surprised. And so, you know, also there's influences of Mad Max, The Road Warrior, even Thunderdome with uh, some of Carl Critchlow's work from the uh, first uh, outing of the game, as well as things like uh, other board games that developed outside of the Warhammer uh, tabletop game system like Space Hulk, The Horus Heresy, uh, Adeptus Titanicus, where you're playing giant robots a la Battletech. Um, you know, except they're way bigger. And, uh, you know, a lot of different uh, games have come out of that where they've added to the universe. And so, in all, I have this to say. For all you guys over on the other side of the pond, what the hell do you have in the water over there that allows you to write this stuff? I yeah, mean, it's amazing. Uh, so much good stuff. I mean, okay, we hit... You know, like, the old game is name five American bands in the 70s, okay? Uh, You're going to struggle with that. Yes, we're living with the Rolling Stones, the Beatles, and Led Zeppelin, and the Who, okay? And Black Sabbath. Thanks, okay? We leave some space for us once in a while, okay, you guys? And try not to use up all the good riffs. Peace. Can we borrow Clapton for a while? Oh, we did. Yeah, we did. We stole them. (laughs) Uh. <laughs> so yeah you know whatever you think about the miniatures game and you know it's collective incarnations or you think about the role-playing games um a good hat off to the original rogue trader book for starting it off and you know the gaming hobby whether you're in for the miniatures game or you're looking for the role-playing stuff or just reading the novels because i know a lot of people just like reading the novels too and that's a thing um it all owes to that single release back in 87. Yeah, the, the very birth of Warhammer 40K as a role-playing experience, uh, not just a miniatures experience. Uh, from its first fledgling attempt to its final incarnations uh, and its current evolutions, still got to approve because it's an awfully fun universe to run amok in. Uh, and they've done a lot more to open it up to as many people as possible. Uh, and to get it to be a staple at game shops as an option. <clears throat> we've we've seen some remarkable open yep. table games. Uh, particularly, I believe Your Dark Heresy was an open table game for a while there, wasn't oh, it? Oh, yeah. Yep. Yeah, that, that was quite an experience. Uh, w- was that the universe in which I, I played uh, the guy that I, I refer to as Crazy Legs? Yes. Yeah, yes. he was a hive worlder from a world where the crowds were so thick that his innate ability was to be able to move through really heavy crowds with alacrity and speed. Uh, so, <laughs> uh, we we ran into a situation where I had retrieved an explosive device before it could be, you know, detonated, and the bad guys were chasing me, and so I intentionally ran into a crowd, thereby delaying them. Uh, using my ability to get ahead of them by running through the crowd. And I, I ran to a wide-open area where I thought the bomb would do no real harm and left it behind, put it down, and ran away. And they ran up to it and picked it up. And then I shot it. <laughs> shot it with your lives right there, yep. <laughs> and I actually got the hit. It's like, I just shot the bomb. <laughs> yep, and so that <laughs> was... was uh... <laughs> Blew them all up. Blew and them that's the, the fun you can have in Warhammer 40k because oh, you're that was being my chased t- by Techno Barbarians. That was my that Narco. was my touchdown moment. Narco, Techno Barbarians. <laughs> yeah, narcotically addicted, technologically 
Uh, advanced Barbarians. Oh, so Man U fans? Yeah. Oh, that's right. one for you guys across oh, the board. All right, all right. It, it's Warhammer 40K. I had to take a cheap shot at Man U. Sorry. Sorry. Right. Don't take it personally. I, you know, I don't even mean it personally. Uh, I don't know, unless some of you agree, in which case I might mean it personally. You don't know. Mm. <laughs> all right, so any apologies? I've been to London. I've seen some serious soccer hooliganism. Yeah. Uh, it was beautiful to behold. I've never seen the like. Huh. All right, but well, we're going to uh, wind our way down out of this and uh, back to Earth. And so as we land safely, we hope that you've enjoyed our little uh, ramble on about, yeah, I just did that, and to the uni- Warhammer 40K universe. And, of course, if uh, you have any co- uh, thoughts, comments, and questions, or any concerns, because you should have, you can let us know on our Facebook page at The Dice Are Screaming, and as well as get a hold of us on Twitter, me at Death Hand Gaming. Myself at Magi Vox. And let us know what you think. And as of course, you can always leave us a message on the Anchor app and we'll get to you. So, without uh, further ado, oh, you have something? Well, I was going to say, uh, you know, you've already gotten your little reference in. So, oh. uh, I was going to say, you can contact us on there, but it'll be like barking at the moon. Oh, uh, yeah. Uh, yeah, right. yeah, yeah, yeah. More, more 70s uh, Brit Rock. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, because we love. We well, love England. Odds. You've done so much for us. All right. But on that note, may, may the, the dice, dice always roll in your favor. favor. We're out. See ya. <laughs>